Chapter 23 of The Sign of the Cross in the 19th Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Swart. The Sign of the Cross in the 19th Century by Jean Gomme. Letter 23. Reasons of the Power and Exalted Mission of the Sign of the Cross. Fundamental Dogma. What Happens in the Political Order a figure of what takes place in the moral order the reformation first daughter of the revival of paganism throws down all the crosses the french revolution second daughter of paganism imitates her sister second obligation to make the sign of the cross frequently reasons drawn from our present state third obligation to make it well condition the sign of the cross eternal sign of victory constantine praise of the sign of the cross you do not forget, my dear Frederick, that we draw practical conclusions from the judgment rendered between us and our ancestors. The first is that we should make the sign of the cross courageously. Although the decision of a tribunal without appeal suffices to determine our conduct, I have wished, in order to render it more worthy of respect, to show you the shame, the dangers and misfortunes which would be the consequence of a revolt, either theoretical or practical. Facts have spoken. You have seen the sign of the beast engraved on those foreheads, hearts, lips, and ailments, unsanctified by the divine sign. Whence does this proceed? I have promised to tell you. The sign of the beast is inevitably imprinted on man, and on everything unprotected by the sign. The liberator of man and the world, it cannot be. It never shall be otherwise. As for the world, there is but one lightning conductor. So for man, there is but one preservative against the demon, it is the sign of the cross. Where it is not, there Satan is master. This fact, as we have repeatedly seen, holds to the most profound and altogether the most incontestable dogma of humanity, the servitude of man and the world of the spirit of evil since the original fall. To render more palpable what I say to the exalted mission of the sign of the cross, allow me to remind you of some historical facts too seldom noticed. What happens in the political world is but a reflection of what takes place in the moral. Now when a dynasty ascends the throne, its first care is to erect its standard and engrave its coat of arms everywhere. This is the sign of its sovereignty. Does it happen to be overthrown? The first act of the conqueror is to destroy the emblems of the vanquished dynasty and replace them by his own. Thus is announced to the eyes of the people the inauguration of a new reign. How many times during the last 70 years have we seen in France and elsewhere this change of colors and escutcheons. In coming to take possession of his kingdom, the incarnate word found Satan, the king and god of the world. The statues, trophies, coat of arms, and insignia of the usurper were everywhere. He being vanquished, all those signs of his sovereignty disappeared. In their place shone the arms of the victor, the cross. Where, for its crimes, a soul or a country is again abounded to Satan, and he takes possession of it, the first act of the usurper is to cause the sign of the cross to disappear. Then it is, and only then, that having no longer to fear this formidable sign, he acts therein as master. Read again one page in the history of your own country. From 1520 to 1530, what spectacle does Germany present to you? From the Rhine to the Danube, all those crosses which, from the victory of Christianity over Scandinavian idolatry, had crowned the hills and mountains, bordered the roads, enameled the fields, ornamented the tops of houses, shone on the summits of churches, decorated the apartments of the rich, 
or consoled the cottages of the poor were thrown down broken into fragments cast to the winds or dragged in the mire amidst the vociferations of a delirious people what did that destructive storm announce the advent of the victor the re-establishment of his reign since that time the spirit of darkness had ruled germany there as in the ancient world he reigns by despotion voluptuousness cruelty and robbery by the confusion of right and wrong by intellectual anarchy under every name and form we find like the spectacle in prussia saxony holland denmark sweden norway england switzerland and every country where the usurper has taken the place of the rightful king this fact is the more significant as it is not isolated in history we see it reproduced every time that satan retakes possession of a country it gives the character of the infernal victory whether general or particular slow or rapid and measures its extent in eighteen thirty the crosses thrown down might be counted only by hundreds eighteen thirty was an abortion of seventeen ninety three in the latter epoch epoch of the complete triumph of paganism it was far otherwise by thousands might be counted the crosses thrown down and broken on the soil of france in that time of sad yet instructive remembrances there is one day inauspicious beyond all others the tenth of august seventeen ninety two saw the throne and altar sink in blood under the blows of fanatical hordes the massacres of the carmes and st Firmin, the proclaiming of the republic the assassination of louis the sixteenth the hecatombs of the reign of terror the filthiness of the directory the apostasies and sacrileges the goddesses of reason were only the consequences of that lamentable day it shall eternally mark the precise hour in which satan made his triumphant entry into the most christian kingdom now at that moment writes an historian of the period a fearful storm such as had never been seen burst over paris all day a heavy dead heat had stifled respiration gloomy clouds marbled towards the evening with sinister-looking streaks had appeared to engulf the sun in a suspended ocean towards ten o'clock the electricity discharged itself by thousands of flashes of lightning like luminous palpitations of the heavens the winds imprisoned behind the ridge of clouds burst forth roaring like the waves bending the harvest breaking the branches of the trees and carrying away roofs of dwellings the rain and hail rang on the ground as if the earth were being stoned from above the houses were closed the streets and roads deserted in an instant the lightning which during eight successive hours did not cease to flash and strike killed a great number of those men and women who came during the night to provision paris some of the sentinels were found struck amidst the ashes of their sentry boxes iron gates twisted by the wind and the fire of heaven were torn from the walls to which they had been fastened by hinges and carried to an incredible distance montmartre and mont valerian the two natural domes which rise above the horizon of the suburbs of paris discharged in greater surface the fluid accumulation in the clouds which enveloped them the lightning attacking by preference all those monuments standing alone or crowned with iron threw down all the crosses erected in the country on the roads and crossroads from the plain of issy to the woods of st germain and versailles even to the cross of the bridge of charenton the next day the limbs of those crosses were everywhere scattered over the ground as if an invisible army had in its passage overthrown all the repudiated signs of christian worship there is no more chance in the moral order than there are leaps in nature the facts i have just related have then a signification now the circumstances which is accompanied and followed them 
prove evidently the cause of the existence or non-existence of the sign of the cross in a country they also prove to nations provinces cities countries and men whoever they may be how much it imports them to preserve multiply and honor that sign the protector of the whole creation to make the sign of the cross frequently is the second practical consequence of the judgment rendered and why should we not make it why not each one as far as he is concerned return to the practice of our forefathers they did not believe themselves secure even for an instant even in the most ordinary actions of life if they were not protected by the salutary sign are we stronger than they are our temptations less numerous less active are dangers less pressing are obligations less serious every time that our fathers went out of their dwellings their eyes were offended by the sights of statues pictures obscene objects customs and feasts wherein the spirit of evil appeared on all sides what discourses what conversations what songs fell on their chaste ears under every form of the most seductive the sensualism and naturalism of ideas and morals both public and private were a permanent conspiracy against the supernaturalism of their life against their spirit of mortification simplicity poverty and detachment moreover they had to defend their faith against the sarcasms the contempt and the sophisms of nations and of pagan philosophy they had to answer for it before judges and attested in amphitheaters in order to preserve themselves amidst so many perils what was their secret the sign of the cross always the sign of the cross and we catholics of the nineteenth century what is our condition has not everything or nearly everything that surrounds us again become pagan where shall we find one word of the gospel in the greater number of men and things are not the cities of modern europe like those of former times filled with statues paintings engravings and objects capable of enkindling in the most frigid souls the impure fires of concupiscence in streets in parlors and in daily lectures what strikes upon our ears what does the modern world need to be entirely pagan in the luxury of its table furniture lodging garments and enjoyments slavery and wealth the instincts are the same as in the days of the caesars is not such a spectacle a continual snare woe to him who does not see it woe above all to him who does not watch daily over his heart and senses if it be difficult to defend our morals what a war must we sustain in order to preserve our faith do we not live in a time in which false ideas lies and sophisms as numerous as the atoms of the air are current in society everywhere are the amphitheaters in which we must combat for the church for our belief our traditions our customs for christian supernaturalism the arena is never closed one combat is no sooner ended than another begins placed in a like condition with us the early christians were acquainted with a weapon victorious universal and familiar to all of which they made constant use it was the sign of the cross had we a better ah if ever it was necessary to make the protecting sign upon ourselves and creatures it is today what prevents us from imitating our ancestors how can it be incompatible with our occupations to make the sign of the cross on the heart or after the ancient manner on the forehead with the thumb or on the mouth with the thumb and the index if we be vanquished whose will be the fault perditio tua ex to israel to make the sign of the cross well 
is the third application of the sentence pronounced. Regularity, respect, attention, confidence, and devotion should accompany our hand when it forms the adorable sign. Regularity. It requires the sign of the cross. In its perfect form, be made according to the traditional law, that is to say, with the right hand and not the left, by slowly carrying the hand from the forehead to the breast, from the breast to the left shoulder, and then to the right, while pronouncing the name of the three persons of the August Trinity. Nothing of this is arbitrary. If they were to come forth from their tombs, it is thus the Christians of the apostolical times would make the sign of the cross. Let us hear an eyewitness. We make the sign of the cross with the right hand over the catechumens, says St. Justin, because the right hand is accounted more noble than the left, although it differs from it only in position and not in its nature. Thus we pray turn towards the east as being the most noble part of creation. From whom did the church receive this manner of prayer? From those who taught her to pray, from the apostles. We have a curious passage from St. Augustine on the dignity of the right hand. Do you not reprove, says he, him who eats with the left hand? If you look on the guest who eats with the left hand as offering an insult to your table, why should it not be an insult to the divine table to make with the left hand what should be made with the right, and with the right hand what should be made with the left? St. Gregory adds, such is the manner of speaking among men. We call noble and precious what is at the right, less precious, less noble, what is at the left. As to the words which accompany the movement of the hand, they also are of apostolic tradition. Over all that you meet, says St. Ephraim, make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And Tertullian, faith is signed in the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost. And St. Alexander, Soldier and martyr under Maximian, on being condemned to death, turned toward the east, made the sign of the cross three times over his body, and said, Glory be to thee, O God of our fathers, Father and Son and Holy Ghost. However, the form which I have just described was less in use among the primitive Christians than it is among us. Their ordinary way was to make the sign of the cross with the thumb on the forehead, frontium crucius, Signiculo terimus. This was because of their fear of betraying themselves, and also on account of the incessant repetition of the adorable sign. Such is still the form most frequently employed in Spain and many other countries. But why on the forehead rather than on the heart? Herein, my dear Frederick, as in all that is ancient, there are great mysteries. I count five. The first, the honor of the divine crucified. It is not without reason, says St. Augustine, that the incarnate word has wished that his divine sign should be marked on our forehead. The forehead is the seat of modesty, and he wishes the Christian not to blush at the opprobrium of his master. If then you make it in the presence of men and are not at it, count on the divine mercy. The second, the honor of our forehead. The sign of the cross, says Tertullian, is the sign of our foreheads. Signiculum frontium, and St. Augustine, a forehead without the sign of the cross, is a head without hair. The bald head is a subject of shame and derision. It is the same with the forehead, unornamented with the sign of the cross. Such a forehead is imprudent. Have you ever heard one man insulting another? He says to him, You have no forehead. 
Vous n'avez pas de francs. What does this mean? That he is imprudent. May God preserve me from having a naked forehead. May the cross of my master ornament and cover it. The third, the miracle of the redemption. The sign of the cross is a trophy. Trophies are not placed in obscure corners, but in public places where everybody can see them, and in seeing them be reminded of the triumphs of the conqueror. Why then, cries out the great Augustine, should not the divine word place on the forehead of man, of the most visible and noble of his members, the sign of victory won by the cross over the infernal powers? By passing from places of execution to the brow of emperors, it was meet that the cross should eternally proclaim the great miracle of the conversion of the world. The fourth, the divine propriety. Re-entering into possession of man, the divine crucified has marked him with his seal, as the proprietor marks those things that belong to him. As soon as the Redeemer has restored man to his liberty, says St. Caesarius of Arles, he marked him with his sign. This sign is the cross, engraved on the doors of palaces. We bear it on our forehead. It is the conqueror who places it there, that all may know he has re-entered into possession of us, and that we are his palaces, his living temples. The demon also, jealous and furious, continually prowls around, seeking to rob us of the sign of our freedom, the charter of our liberty. The fifth, the dignity of man. The forehead is the noblest part of the body. It is, as it were, the seat of the soul. Whoever is master of the head is master of the man. Hence, of all parts of the body, the forehead is that which the demon tries most furiously to deform. The deformation of this organ by artificial compression has been practiced all over the world. In many countries it still exists to disfigure the image of God, to enfeeble the intellectual facilities, to develop the basest instincts. Such are the established results of this deformation, humanly inexplicable. Our Lord, the repairer of all things, wished that the sign of the cross should, by preference, be marked on the forehead in order to deliver it, and in delivering it to restore to man, with the plenitude of his facilities, all the dignity of his being. Respect is another condition required to make the sign of the cross well. Respect, because it is an act of religion, venerable for four reasons, for its origin, for its antiquity, for the use which has been made of it by the greatest and holiest men the world has ever seen, the apostles, martyrs, and true Catholics of the primitive church and of every age, and for the glory with which it shall shine on the last day, when, announcing the coming of the sovereign judge, it shall appear on the clouds, brilliant with light, and be placed with dignity beside the supreme tribunal for the consolation of the just and the eternal confusion of the wicked. With attention, without this, the redeeming sign is no more than mechanical movement, too often useless to ourselves, and perhaps injurious to him, whose majesty, love, and benefits it recalls, but a confidence filial, lively, strong, founded on the testimony of ages, of the practice of the church and the marvelous effects produced by this sign, formidable to the demon and the liberator of man and the world, with devotion, which places the heart in union with the lips. In making the sign of the cross, what do I do? I proclaim myself the disciple, the brother, the friend, the child of a crucified God. Under pain of lying to myself and to God, I must be all that I say. Listen to our forefathers. When you sign yourself, 
think of all the mysteries contained in the cross it is not enough to form it simply with the finger it is necessary first to make it with faith and good will when you mark your breast your eyes and all your members with the sign of the cross offer yourself as a victim pleasing to god if in marking yourself with the sign of the cross you proclaim yourself a christian soldier yet at the same time do not practice according to your ability either charity justice or chastity the sign of the cross avails you nothing the sign of the cross is a great thing it should be employed to mark only great and precious things what use would it be to set a gold seal on hay or mud what signifies the sign of the cross on the forehead and lips if the soul be interiorly filled with crimes and stains to make the sign of the cross and yet sin what is this to do it is to place the sign of life on the mouth and to plunge the poniard into the heart hence the proverb of the primitive christians brothers have jesus christ in the heart and his sign on the forehead habit christium in cordibus et signium aegis in frontibus hence also the saying of saint augustine god asks not for painters but for operators of his mysteries if you bear on your forehead the sign of the humility of jesus christ bear in your heart the imitation of the humility of jesus christ we have every reason to act thus let no one say to make the sign of the cross either well or ill is of little importance christian ages have taught differently so also has the catholic church the mistress of truth so also has the truth in person admitting even that the sign of the cross is of little importance has not the incarnate word said he that is faithful in little things will be faithful in great as he who is unfaithful in little things will be unfaithful in great is it not this daily fidelity which forms the christian life and prepares the eternal recompense in the affair of salvation as in all other affairs that which suffices is not sufficient he who wishes to do only what is necessary will not do even that for very long ten times a day i make the sign of the cross if it is well made behold ten more good works ten more degrees of glory and happiness for all eternity behold ten more pieces of money to pay my debts or those of my brethren on earth or in purgatory ten more instances to obtain the conversion of sinners and the perseverance of the just to free the world and creatures from diseases dangers and scourges compute the sum of merits accumulated at the end of a week a year a lifetime of fifty years and yet you say that this is of little importance you now know dear frederick the sign of the cross and the manner of making it let me confide to you an ambitious thought suppose a stranger arrives in paris and ask which is the young man who among all in the vast capital makes the sign of the cross best i wish that you might be named at this price i promise you a life worthy our ancestors of the primitive church a death precious before god and perhaps the honors of canonization in hoc vince by this sign thou shalt conquer this divine saying is ever ancient yet ever new for it is the formula of a law constantine who first deserved to hear it is the type of man the great emperor was advancing by forced marches to attack maxentius a dreadful tyrant who was in possession of the capital of the world suddenly in calm weather a little after midnight there appears in the heavens the sign of the cross brilliant with light 
and visible to Constantine and the whole army, with inscription, By this sign thou shalt conquer, in hoc vince. The following night the Son of God appears to the emperor, holding in his hand the same sign, and commands him to make one like it, to be carried in all his battles, and to be to him the pledge of victory. Constantine obeys. The heavenly sign, resplendent with gold and precious stones, dazzles the eyes of his legions and becomes the celebrated labarum. Wherever this sacred ensign appears, confidence animates the soldiers of Constantine, terror seizes those of Maxentius. The Roman eagles fly before the cross, paganism before Christianity. Satan, the ancient tyrant of Rome and the world, before Jesus Christ, the savior of Rome and the world. And thus it should be, Maxentius being defeated and drowned. Constantine enters into Rome. A statue is erected, presenting him holding the cross in his hand, with the following inscription, dictated by himself. It is by this salutary sign, the true emblem of strength, that I have delivered your city from the yoke of tyranny, and that, giving liberty to the Senate and Roman people, I have re-established them in their ancient majesty and splendor. Constantine represents you, me, every baptized soul, the whole Christian world. Thrown into the arena of life, we march at the head of our senses and faculties to attack a tyrant far more dangerous than Maxentius. Our Rome is heaven. He tries to prevent our entrance into it. He advances against us at the head of his infernal legions. The combat is inevitable. God gives us the same means of conquering that he gave to the son of Constantius, the sign of the cross. In hoc vince. Now, as formerly, this sign is the terror of demons, formidio daemonum. Let us make it with faith, and the way of the eternal city shall be open to us. Conquerors, and conquerors forever, our gratitude will erect in the sight of the angels and the elect, a statue bearing Constantine's inscription. It is by this sign, the true emblem of strength, that I have vanquished the demon, delivered my soul and body from his tyranny, and that, by giving to my senses, faculties, and entire being their true liberty, I have established them for all eternity in the splendors of unlimited, unalloyed glory. In hoc vince. Hail, then I will say, borrowing the language of the fathers and doctors of the East and the West. Hail, sign of the cross, standard of the great king, immortal trophy of the Lord, sign of life, sign of salvation, sign of benediction, Terror of Satan and the infernal legions, impregnable rampart, impenetrable buckler, invincible armor, royal sword, honor of the forehead, hope of the Christians, remedy of the sick, resurrection of the dead, guide of the blind, support of the feeble, consolation of the poor, joy of the good, dread of the wicked, check to the rich, ruin of the proud, judge of the unjust, liberty of slaves, glory of martyrs, chastity of virgins, virtue of the saints, foundation of the church. You now have, dear Frederick, my answer to your two questions. The authority of all ages resolves them in your favor. This triumphant apology for your noble conduct will, I hope, arm you forever against mockeries and sophisms. On one side, you know how important and how solidly established is the habitual practice of the sign of the cross. And, on the other, you have the means of appreciating, at its just value, the intelligence of those who do not make it, as also 
of esteeming as it merits the character of those who are ashamed to make it in hoc vince may this work be to all who read it a fruitful source of the blessings promised herein the translator the end end of letter number 23 recording by sarah swart end of the sign of the cross in the 19th century by jean gomme